0: Along to the latest edition of the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Conor Clancy, and joining me again this week is the returning Vito Doria. Vito, welcome back.
2: Yep, thank you, Conor. It's uh, going to be an interesting uh, weekend of football to discuss, but I think there are a few things probably more so offered that are more interesting than what happened uh, on the field. So I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a big week, and we'll dive right into that after the next introduction. Which is Luca Gumby. Luca, I think it's been a while since you've been on with us, but welcome like. back.
3: Yeah, a little while, but uh, it's nice to be here. And got a bit of turmoil going on. It's always fun to jump in and see uh, who's going where, what's happened, what people are annoyed about. So there's more to talk about
0: than just what's been happening on the pitch, as Vito said. Yeah, we'll be testing your preparation for this one because you are a bit of a a last-minute introduction after Nicholas Carroll pulled out sick. But I think the only place to start this week is with hashtag Montella out because he's finally exactly that. He is out of AC Milan after they drew 0-0 with Torino at home. And strangely, they've replaced him with Gennaro Gattuso, who hasn't exactly been a success in his previous jobs. But Vito... First things first, was it right to get rid of Montella?
2: Uh, Look, I reckon the timing was a bit odd because I think he's had some more shocking losses and results than this. So to do it after a 0-0 draw after Torino, I found a little bit odd. In the last few weeks, I thought some of the performances were getting better as opposed to other weeks where the whole team was down collectively. I also believe in particular, I think that as bad as Montella has been in trying to deal with this whole situation with the new signings, I reckon his faith in uh, the Croatian striker Nikola Kalinic has been misplaced. He doesn't look like the striker that was good in his first few months at Fiorentina. So I think his faith in him um, was a a bit too much. And I reckon that contributed to his sacking.
0: I would agree with that. We will go back to you because I know you've written about Kalinic, Catrone, and Andre Silva at Milan. It's going to go up on the site tomorrow. So we'll come back to you. Plug that a little bit in a while. But look at... Reno Gattuso is obviously a Milan legend, but he, he, he has proven that he's not a very good coach. So th- this seems strange to me. At first, the obvious thing to think is that he's gone in there as caretaker, but Massimiliano Mirabelli said, Gattuso is our coach. To make him caretaker would kill him with the group straight away. We've given him this opportunity and we'll see how he plays it. But surely that's just what they're saying publicly and they have to be looking for a full-time coach in the background because Gattuso is not up to it. What What do you think? Where should they go from here? Is Gattuso the right man to even take them on an interim basis?
3: You would think so that it's like you said where he is in essence really this interim who's not really good. but they'll do. It seems to kind of be Milan doing what they did not so long ago, even under Pagascone, when they took real and figures like Seedorf and they would be there for a little while and then go. It was, didn't really seem to have a long-term coach, really, for, for a long time. And Montella seemed like that could have been, he could have been it, but then that's not him. But it, it, it seems very odd and you can't really see Catuzo lasting for a long time. He's struggled at every club he's gone, where every club he's gone to has had a lot of off-the-field problems as well, Pisa did, um, was it Crete was that in Greece? But I suppose that's also the case with Milan now as well, I saw someone using that as kind of a mitigating factor for his not particularly stellar managerial record, where kind of every club he's been at has had its problems, and that seems to be the case now as well with Milan, where they're not living out to expectation, even with the the Primavera side, he wasn't doing particularly well. He even got smashed by Sassuolo on one result and lost the derby to Inter. Otherwise, it was kind of a mediocre season for the Primavera. So I suppose, like, I think the, the excitement from Milan fans is going to be that he's a, a passionate club figure and not much more than that. And just kind of the this kind of hope that you can sort of just instill some sort of work effort into the players and just, just you know, get them to give a bit more than they have. But otherwise, you don't really see him as a a visionary for, for them moving forwards.
0: No, definitely not. Vito, our first listener question came in from Chris Martin on Twitter earlier on. He says, Dorf and Zaggy Brocky now get to so. And then he quotes, the only true mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. Um, who will Milan's ex-player Zidane type manager be, or has Carlo Ancelotti already been that for them?
2: Yeah, well... Yeah, I find it very strange that AC Milan still want to go down this path of hiring coaches that were club legends or they were, you know, bandieri or club uh, favourites. So um, a lot of these coaches, they haven't shown that they're good enough as yet to coach a big club like AC Milan, and perhaps it's a step too far to just jump in right away. I think it's either this Zinedine Zidane thing at Real Madrid or Guardiola back at Barcelona. For some reason, AC Milan want to do that with their players, but uh, but it doesn't work all the time. And speaking of Ancelotti, at least he had that background when he came into AC Milan. He had that time at Parma. He was at Juventus, so he already had some years of experience too. So I think we're getting these. Way. Uh, you can't expect it to be a trend It's it requires special individuals to do that
0: Yeah, well Chris went on to say that he doesn't think that a lot of thought has actually gone into this decision and I would agree it does seem like it's kind of a bit knee-jerk um, another Chris, Chris Morley has gotten in touch in the live comments and he says, do you think the change of manager at Milan will actually make any difference? Luca? they're still lacking a bit in terms of players we saw that with Ricardo Montalibo still playing We'll get on to him in a bit Lucas Billy is not quite at it Nikola Kalinich doesn't seem like he's at that level either so at do you think that the change will make any difference at all can they now fight for the top four
3: I don't know it's it's hard to say I suppose you would expect it to have some sort of dramatic short term impact just because of who gets who's as a character and you can see it going to sort of be a, a, a miracle which peaks peak, out so, or just a complete disaster but, I, I, I don't know. I think I don't really understand Milan's kind of whole strategy. I think it's all very short term termist, and that's really harming them. I wasn't particularly excited about them over the summer when they were signing all these players. I thought, you know, you can sign all these players, but it doesn't really make you a better team. It will take a while. And then Montella was given time, and then he wasn't with a draw to Torino, which isn't a terrible result. It's Inter drew at home as well to Torino. I mean, Torino are a decent side. So, I, 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 can't, I don't think they really need players. And, it, like, to, to sort of have a go at players like Montelievo or, I don't know, doesn't really make sense because out of all the players that they bought over the summer, like Barini was probably one of the least glamorous, was having one of the biggest impacts. Montolivo did quite well against Torino. He's sort of always been liked by coaches for Italy as well. They always tend to put a lot of faith in him. He's not always very popular with fans. yet. had... Best passing success accuracy rate in that game. Probably shouldn't have this, but Callum missed a very good chance of a, a cute little flick that he did the first time. So I, I don't really, it just seems to be the kind of same story of Milan where they keep trying to just change things and have expected to have a immediate impact where perhaps just kind of have faith in what they're doing more would, would bring better results. So I think you see that on the other side of. Uh, the city as well. Like Inter, were getting quite a lot of criticism over the, the summer from their fans as well for not not investing and not changing, and that that helped the team a lot. They they had a, a solid group, and I think I think that can still happen with what Milan have bought, but certainly just take a lot a long a long time. And this season may were already they may already be too far back, but financially need that Champions League
0: place, so obviously they're going to go all out for it. Yeah, Luke, I'll stick with you on this. I was going to come to it in a bit, but you've raised him, so I might as well do it now. Ricardo Montalivo was actually quite good against Torino in, as you say, a result that's not actually that bad, the scores draw with Torino. But do you think he still has a role to play in this team? And if so, to what extent? Because we ridiculed him on the podcast last week. The the three of us just went all in, really. But then he impressed. So what should Milan be expecting of him? What role should they be using him in? Because it does seem like he can still do something.
3: Yeah, I think if you just put him in the the midfield and get, get someone else to do his running, he can still pass the ball about um, nicely and accurately. He's got a bit of creativity, a bit of vision. He can pick a long ball. Uh, he's not going to get around the pitch as much as some of these other players, Kessie or Locatelli, who are a lot younger. But uh, to be honest, I'd quite, I, I imagine that Gattuso would probably... Go to Montalivo is kind of one of the players that he's going to sort of speak to and look to be important for this team in the dressing room as well. He's one of the most experienced players. He's been there for a long time. He's had a lot of difficulty there, a lot of adversity, but he's stuck with it, he gets a lot of stick from the fans. He's always a scapegoat. So Milan have quite a few scapegoats now at the moment, so he can sort of perhaps help them to deal with that. He's Italian, which I suppose Gattuso will look to, to for him to have a kind of uh, ambassadorial role within the club. and you know, just sort of telling the other, his teammates what to do. So I think he, he'll certainly continue to play a, a fairly important role. I don't think that I don't think the club's going to kind of just throw him out in the way that quite a lot of um, the mainland fans would, would probably like. He's always seems to be a, a coach's favourite. He must work very hard in training, must listen a lot to the coach and that's obviously been valued wherever he is. So I think that will continue for a while and he could just be kind of solid player for them who's gonna do a job, he's
0: not gonna really set the world like it. If he can do his job it can help those around him. Well someone with the not so subtle name of Love for Milan has come into in the comments and says that Montalivo can still impact there. So if that's what the fans are thinking, maybe they're right. Another one of those scapegoats Vito at the weekend anyway was Nikola Kalinic He's not been very good, it's fair to say for the Rossoneri but surely the booing of him when he came off was out of order.
2: Uh, Look, it's not nice for players to get booed or ridiculed. And in a way, look, you can say that it is a bit over the top, but I reckon the fans and a lot of people outside of the club, uh, they see that Kalinic is completely out of form and Montella had this blind faith in him. If you have a look at the way Milan's been playing in the Europa League, Andre Silva and Patrick Cutrone have been uh, much more impressive. They look more energetic, more prolific, and they link up better with the team. And Kalinic has been underperforming week after week, and for some reason Montella just couldn't drop him. And now it's been very costly for Montella. So hopefully Gattuso, he opens his eyes and realizes that Kalinic... He's not going to be that frontman. He's not going to be bearing in the goals that AC Milan need.
0: Yeah, well, stick with you on this. I'll give you a chance to plug what you wrote because personally, I'm of the opinion that Andre Silva should be starting for them. He looked lively at the weekend. Um, him and Kalinic were kind of getting in each other's way a little bit. But there was one chance where Andre Silva was through and Nikola Kalinic just had to play the easiest of five yard passes and he made a complete mess of it. And then from then, the two of them were kind of bickering at each other. And obviously, that's not going to help things. But um, go on, just plug your piece then, really. What do you think Milan should be doing in attack?
2: Well, my piece is pretty much about the things that I have just said and also just a further elaboration on the necessity to play Silva and even Cotrone. It's... It's all to do that same. you know, age is just a number. Kalinic is 29, but Silva's 22, is 19, but they've got the form, so you can't just pick a player based on experience. They're getting the job done, and talent as well as form should be the priority, not just the age and experience. So, yeah, I hope... uh, Obviously, I hope everyone has a read of it. They see my point that I'm trying to make, and instead of just... Ignoring it and saying, "Oh, but they're only playing in the Europa League, They're weaker teams." Uh, just have a look at the performances of the teams and the, you know, the goals, the the results, and all that. And look, I don't fancy Gattuso much as a coach, but hopefully he sees that those two actually doing well for the club. So give it a chance in Serie, a and perhaps them two might turn things around. They might try and make Gattuso look good. So. We'll see what happens from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Never, never talk down on the Europa League. It is a wonderful competition. Vito or Luca, rather. It, can you really pinpoint the, a place where it went wrong for Montella? Is there one thing that he persisted with doing? One moment, one match, maybe where it kind of just became apparent that it wasn't going to work out for him.
3: Um, I don't think that was kind of an obvious result. There was no major disaster, barring a four-one defeat to to Lancer. It's just this sort of recent run where they've gone uh, home. I don't think they've scored in four games at home. Is that right? I think they also that's, that's in the league, and they also were held to a goalless draw against AEK Athens in front of basically nobody. The fans had gone, so I think it's just kind of there's not sort of a particular moment. As has already been mentioned, that kind of striking issue with with Kalinic having this faith put him in and then Silva and Catrone uh, not really getting the chances. And then obviously coupled with that run of no go goals at home in four matches, it's just that kind of issue because, you know, you don't score in front of your home finds. It's a lot lot easier to lose the, um, the faith. You can do reasonably well away, but if you're not winning at home, it's a, it has a lot more of an impact on um, kind of just the whole vibe around the club. But I don't think there's sort of been... One particular result where it's they've really been made to look foolish. They lost heavily to Lazio, but Lazio are a good team. They lost the way at Sampdoria, but Sampdoria beating everybody at home. They lost to Roma at home, but Roma good. So they, they, they haven't then been turned over by spell or anything like that. It's just kind of been this accumulation of um, well not scoring, and then frustration boils, and Montella has to to go. Good
0: teams can be beaten by spell. I know they weren't, but good teams can. Let's move on because I'm sick of talking about Milan. juventus Crotone 3-0, straightforward win. One thing that stood out for me really was Stefan Lichtsteiner. He's been quite poor this season. And despite Juve winning 3-0, he was a disaster again. And Mattia Decilio impressed and scored what was surprisingly the first goal of his career. And he's been around for a few years now. So that really jumped out at me. I thought it was just his first with Juve, but no. Uh, Vito... Is this the beginning of the end for Licksteiner? Is this his last season at the top level?
2: I reckon that he should finish at the end of the season. But to be truthful, I reckon he should have gone maybe a season or two ago, to be honest, because he has lost the yard. And also defensively, I don't think he's been exactly top notch. So I reckon he's only played more this season stage. Now that the Chile was fit and he scored that cracker of a goal, um, that might be the final straw for Licksteiner. And if he really wants to play regularly, he might have to move to another club because the Chile has definitely got age on his side. And I suppose leaving Milan has really given him some new confidence and revived his career a bit. So hopefully it's a stepping stone for him.
0: Yeah, well with Lichsteiner, he's obviously still quite an important player for Switzerland and he will need to be playing regularly ahead of the World Cup in the summer. So do you think there's a chance that he could leave in January? And if so, Juventus will probably need to bring someone else on the right because they lost Dani Alves in the summer as well. So to lose two of their main right backs for the last 18 months would be a big turnover. Vito, you can keep going with this one.
1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Oh, sorry, just cut out a bit. Uh, can you repeat the question, please? So, is it about yeah, yeah. the full bags that you will there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was just saying that Licksteiner obviously has to keep playing because he's got the World Cup coming up with Switzerland. With him, he's still quite an important player. Do you think that he'll need to move on in January to get more playing time ahead of the World Cup? And if so, where do Juventus look for a replacement?
2: I heard some speculation about that. And he he might have even admitted himself he might need to go January. So it'd be interesting to see where he goes and also what Juve would do in this situation. The fullbacks will probably be De Chilio and Alexandro, and I suppose that Asamoah will probably persist on the left back position, and Allegri seems to be experimenting a lot with Stefano Sturaro in the right back role, so maybe for the remaining six months he'll stick with that, but after the end of this season, if the if the talk is correct, they'll probably have to bring back uh, Spinazzola from uh, your club, bring him back from Atalanta.
0: Yeah, again, that's another option on the left. So it will be strange to see what happens going forward on the other side. Luca, Douglas Costa started quite well against Crotone. But again, it is against Crotone. Strangely, as Juventus grew into the game and impressed a bit more, his impact faded. He's had a pretty slow start in Serie A. Do you think that he just needs a bit more time to settle in? Or is he just not suited to Italian football?
3: No, I think you're yeah, perhaps being a bit harsh on him because Juventus clearly have some faith in that they made that transfer permanent. Uh, I think after that game or just before it, and he, yeah, he's not he's not set the world light, but he, he's done one bit when when Juve were three 0 down at Sampdoria, he came on and got an assist and almost sort of spurred them into a, a comeback in the end, and I think. To to be overly critical now would be unfair. He's he's done well enough. I don't. I'm not, I think he's this good once, or he's got a few assists. But yeah, he's he's not really um kind of been that kind of all all entertaining player at Juventus. But I don't think that system that they have really kind of allows for that anyway. You you sort of have players like Quadrado and they they have a lot more set roles. I think once he gets used to that, he'll certainly be a useful player for them and they they obviously have faith as they've spent the money to to get him on permanently now from Bayern after not having that long to look in, they probably could have waited longer so I think slowly he'll
0: he'll come into it and do well Yeah, it's probably a good point and with Iguain, Dabala and Mandzukic in there they're kind of permanent fixtures in that team so it's always going to be hard to break in for any sustained amount of time and then you've got Quadrado, like you mentioned, who I don't personally write him, but he, he works in that Juventus system and he always performs when it matters. Um, again, I think we should move on. Lazio won, Fiorentina one. There was a bit of VAR drama in this. Luca, how was that penalty given after? It was
3: not a penalty. I, uh, I just thought, because the player, like it was Pencela got taken down. Then he got up and almost scored a brilliant bicycle kick. And you can see when he gets up to go for the bicycle kick, he's sort of given up his dreams of the penalty. And then someone just sort of says, oh no, have a look at the review and he gives it. But to me, it was never a penalty. I don't really like those ones where it's a player going to clear the ball and then someone sneaks in. It sneaks in and sort of gets in front, in between the ball and the sort of swinging lane because they're not really fouling. The player, the player doesn't have possession. They're not denying them anything. The player's sort of manufacturing the contact by deliberately getting in front of that swinging lane. So to me, it was never a penalty. But... Fiorentina did finish the game quite strongly they were they were applying pressure they had a few other chances but yeah I, I just I can't see how it was a how it was a penalty and how they gave it after after reviewing it
0: yeah it's it wasn't so much a problem with VAR it was a problem with the referee's decision making because he didn't give the penalty so then after seeing that what does he see that convinces him that he got the decision wrong because to go back on his initial decision not to give it is huge so Vito did you think it was a penalty? Can you relate with why this decision was given?
2: Mm. I'm a little bit surprised by it too because uh, yeah, when I saw the infringement, I thought, no, nah, I've, I didn't really think it was really a really giveable penalty. Shall we say? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a bit puzzled by it to be honest.
0: Or maybe. Fiorentina went through a lot of change this summer. I was quite critical of them and how they would perform this season, but they're doing okay. Pioli's got them organized, as you'd expect, and they're sitting around mid-table. What have you made of their start to the season so far?
2: Um, Fiorentina, they haven't done too badly. I probably thought they were going to be near relegation, but I reckon so far Fiorentina, they've been... um, doing what I would consider to be a minimum requirement for them, to be a mid-table side. Um, I think anything less than that would be disappointing for Fiorentina and a city like Florence. And I like how this team's probably given a few more younger players and a few more Italians a chance. And Marco Benassi has been one player that's caught my eye because he was captain at Torino. But he's been getting involved in the goals in Fiorentina you know he scored a few he's provided a few assists so I'm glad that he's making contribution but I would like to see if uh, Saponara can make an impact because he was good at Empoli but since moving to Fiorentina he hasn't really been very influential
0: yeah Luca if I remember correctly you were quite keen to give Fiorentina a bit of time during the summer do you think they've started well or as you'd expect them to
3: I think they've been mostly as you'd expect they've generally beaten the teams you'd expect to be and they've struggled against the big teams they don't have a big record against they lost heavily to Inter on the first day they gave Juventus a bit of a run and I think they lost heavily to someone else and Roma was a bit of a high scoring match I think I think they've been mediocre perhaps slightly less than okay because they're 12 so that's You'd expect them to be at least 10, probably probably right in the middle of mid table, but they've gone on a run now of four games without a win. So I think they will need to pick themselves back up. If they you know if they want to keep this good faith about them, where you're giving Pioli a chance to really get this team to to gel. But obviously they've had so much change over the summer. It's such a different thing. They've got quite, still got quite a lot of young players that might they're not going to achieve much. Might so well just keep it going as it is and hope they can all develop together. But yeah, I think that just mediocre, just a little bit of a negative spiral on the moment, at the moment that if they can
0: get out of that, they they should be okay and just creep slightly back up the table. Yeah, one team in a, a positive spiral at the moment are Inter and they beat Calgary 3-1. Uh, Icardi with a double and Epic Brazo got the other. Luca, what did you make of this game? Straightforward enough from Inter to beat... Uh, Possible relegation candidate?
3: Well, yeah, it was kind of what they've been like, until where it kind of really seems to show that they've got the credentials to go far because they didn't play very well and they were just ruthlessly efficient. Like in the first half of an hour, Handanovic had to make some very good saves. He played very well again. And I think, like people with Handanovic now, it's become so frequently said that he's so underrated, it's sort of not true because everyone's saying it, so it's clearly rated. But it's just it's just kind of a usual story where they hung on when it was difficult and then just Cardi, just lethal just finished everything he was given. Simple finishes, but he gets in the positions that he sees things and it was a very nice finish as well from Rozovich straight after coming off the bench. He some of the fans don't seem to like him very much, seems to be regarded as a bit lazy, but he's he's chipped in with a few goals from outside the area. So that's another option. And yeah, they're they're probably not the most exciting team in the world, but they, they do they do win and they do that kind of cliche win of champions where they don't play well, but they, they still win. So
0: everything's looking up at the moment with Inter. Yeah, and also did that very thing the cliche if it's a cliche or a truvism, I don't know champions win when they're playing badly but Mauricio Sarri wasn't too happy about the pitch in Udine where the Barton won 1-0 I should say um, does he have a point Fido or do Napoli just need to kind of get on with this sort of thing teams are going to make their pitch a bit a bit ugly to say the least against Napoli because of the football they play do Napoli just need to learn to overcome it like they did on Sunday or do they have a right to complain about this sort of thing
2: Uh, I still think in a way that they do have a reason to complain. But at the end of the day, you've got to be able to adjust to the conditions in any way possible. Not all pitches are going to be perfect. You're not going to get sunny days all the time. So it's up to the coach and as well as his players to truly understand the conditions and the circumstances they're in and just deal with it that way. Napoli's got enough talent to win games by themselves. Saudi's an excellent coach, so um, they they can say what they want about the pitch, but at the end of the day, it's all about using your talent to the best effect possible when dealing with the circumstances in the right way. And by beating um okay, wasn't convincing, but they did what they had to do, so just, just keep persisting, and of course, Napoli, they're not a team that play bad deliberately. They're not an inter that just grind out results. The good football will keep coming.
0: Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. It's hard to kind of decide which side of the argument to come down on there. Uh, Roma won, Genoa won. Roma really should have won this. They've not had the best of weeks. Lucas already laughing. But Daniela De Rossi just had a moment of absolute madness. Vito... He must be listening to what you're saying on here every week because it doesn't seem like he likes Genoa too much either,
2: does it? I just can't believe he he slapped Lapadula. I mean, <laughs> I still remember when he elbowed Brian McBride at the 2006 World Cup in the Italy versus USA game. But to resort to a slap, well, I just, I was shocked. I mean, he's experienced. And I know sometimes he plays a bit on the edge, but to, you know, annoy your opponent by slapping him, uh, you know, that's just out of the ordinary and for all the wrong reasons.
0: Now, Luca, my favourite bit about this was not only did Dejad Rossi slap Gianluca Lapidula in the face, but he did it in a time when VAR exists. So the referee went over, watched the incident. Sent De Rossi off, and De Rossi still looks shocked <laughs> that he had been sent off. Like, what are your thoughts on this one? If you can even have any. My, my
3: favorite was the bit when he clearly doesn't know what he's doing when he slaps him, and like when he dives himself to go <laughs> down. That's it's so, this so, this sort of half a second way just doesn't realise what to do, like because Lapadula's already gone down, so he tries to save himself <laughs> by going down, and it's just perfect. But yeah, it's just bizarre, because obviously he's like, with Totti Don, he's the, the figurehead of that team, so he can't be doing
0: that, but it's always been a part of his game. Yeah, so. Right, I'm that's the quote. Daniel Rossi. you can't be doing that, is the advice from Liga, but seriously, that was it was crazy. When I first saw it, I, was kind of, I saw it a couple of times on my phone, on the bus, and I was thinking, oh, you know, like it, he might have been just trying to swing an arm to get a grip on Lapadula, not quite looking but when you see it if you, he just slaps him in the face and like you say what is he doing going to ground himself his hand is sore it was absolutely mental from De Rossi and we know he does kind of lose his head a bit Totti says everyone's allowed to make mistakes but that must be one of the most stupid sendings off you've ever seen and it's definitely two points dropped for Roma Um. Something else that's kind of inexplicable: Luca Bologna beat Sampdoria three nil. What on earth happened here?
3: Uh, well, Bologna, to be fair, were, were worth the victory. They played well, and yeah, I think as good as Sampdoria have been at home with a perfect record, their the away form's been pretty mediocre. To be honest, they, they lost four nil away to Nizay, and. Uh, they beat someone else away but it was a pretty small team and other than that the only other away win was the derby so it's the same stadium. So I think that's kind of something that Gian Paolo would have to work on because he's been getting a lot of credit and and rightly so but on the road Sampdoria haven't really really been up to much. And Bologna, to be fair, did play well. They deserved it. I think Don Sarr deserves some credit because he last year He didn't really feature very much. and Before that, he was quite quite a highly rated player when he was at Rona and then Callery and then Bologna brought him in and he never really stepped up. But this season, he's been doing well. And uh, Akwonko scored as well for Bologna. He's got a few off the bench. He's a young player to watch out for. I think he's only 18, the uh, Nigerian. So, yeah, it was just Sam didn't really turn up. I suppose beating Juventus probably did take something out of them. Not in the kind of sense where you seem to see on... Twitter where people think it's some sort of conspiracy where they only bothered to try in that one game but they must have had some sort of lingering fatigue and yeah it's just the away form slightly worrying and there'll need to be some sort of resolution found there but I, I don't know if it was actually that surprising of a result or at least not for, for Bologna to win that game Then I think San Flori do have a little bit of a, a curse at the Stadio they never, they, they never do well
0: there at the moment Look, I'll stick with you because you do watch Bologna quite a lot, strangely, but they've got quite a few decent players there. Uh, Roberto Donadoni said that Verdi and Destro should be in the national team. Personally, Destro, no way. Verdi, maybe, but he's still a bit raw. Do you think that we've kind of been harshly overlooking them? Because they're, they're in the top half there as well. They're in that group with Torino, Milan, Atalanta, Fiorentina and below Sampdoria, but... Do Bologna deserve a bit more credit?
3: Yeah, I think they they've been doing well. They they did lose four on the bounce quite recently, but even then, one was Atalanta away, which was tough, and it was quite hard for. And then the others were Lazio and Roma, and they gave them a game. And they 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 do they do seem to be um a decent team. I think Di Francesco, while was injured at the moment, is a very talented player. He's a very fun player to watch. He's entertaining. There's been a few sort of like skills he's pulled out in games that kind of everyone ends up watching. And Verdi's been doing... Well, I think Palacio was a quite a, a shrewd acquisition for them. He gives them a bit of a kind of goalscoring threat, also a bit of a better mentality. Because last year, the problem was they sort of play quite well in games and then do something ridiculous and give away a penalty in the last minute all the time. And they're the most red cards in Europe. But they seem to have eradicated that from their game. And they do have some decent young players. And Donadoni, I think, is doing quite a good job there. He's, he's made them into a solid outfit, I think. As it is, they they look like a very solid mid-table team and they're they're sort of developing slowly. I think Donadoni's not a particularly brash coach. He always kind of says the same things. He's not particularly media-friendly, so he doesn't perhaps get uh, that much credit. But I think
0: that they definitely do have some uh, interesting young players at the moment. Vito, I'll come to you in a minute, I promise, but Luca, sticking with you. Is Roberto Donadoni the next AC Milan coach
3: again? Uh, I don't think so, to be honest, just because... He's not really that big, glamour name, and I think I think he's happy enough at Bologna. I think it suits him because he did say that he was offered the Italy job before Ventura, and he turned it down to state Bologna. And when he was at Italy, he got quite a lot of criticism there. But in before walking away and not going for the for the money, I, I can't really see Milan with what they're trying to do is sort of be this quite glamorous, big, spending club going for for someone like Donadoni. He's probably, you know, a safe pair of hands, but he's not really gonna excite the, the Rossoneri
0: fans. All right, fair enough. I probably agree with you, Vito. Sam haven't been good away from home, as Luca discussed. Is it just a psychological thing, or is there something that Marco
2: Giampalo needs to address? I reckon it's a psychological thing uh, that they got a learn to play when the fans are against them, so obviously the opposition fans are going to boo them and things like that, so that's just part and parcel of the game, really. Um, The Udinese game I thought was just one big blip, it was just a freakish result, but this one for me personally, I find it a bit concerning, probably because Bologna were scoring from open play, they weren't scoring from penalties like Udinese did, and From what I saw of the game, I saw that Dovan Zapata, Fabio Cuayarella, and Gaston Ramirez were denied so much space from that Bologna defence. So perhaps uh, Donadoni he he exposed something in the Sump game that Giampolo's got to rectify. So if uh, Sump forwards are getting limited space, he's got to do something to his system, at least in the away games, to sort of improve on that, whether it be getting the midfielders to contribute more offensively or whatnot or make different movements. But I think uh, it's another eye-opener. And also after the Sump, um, Sump's win against York there, I think it also goes to show another thing too. When you beat the big teams, you still got to be humble and take every game at a time. Every opponent's unique in its own way. So um, a team like Sump can't afford to be comfortable even after a big win.
0: I'm just looking down at the running order now and the next thing to go on to is I had Benevento to pick up their first point or points tonight. Obviously that was written before Atalanta beat them but the goddess can just not be stopped this week. Luca, what a week for the Bergamaschi.
3: Yeah, am I supposed to flip the, the question over now? Am I supposed to say... What was it like uh, in Liverpool, you know, watching <laughs> Atalanta? Is that,
0: is that what you want? You can do whatever you want. If you want to throw it to me, you can throw it to me. But I'd rather you praise Ladea, to be honest.
3: Yeah, that like obviously the league form's not what it was last year. I think playing in Europe has taken its top. But as as a neutral, I'm happy to see them, see them doing well because they do do things the right way, bringing through youth and... Like, obviously, in a way, it's quite nice to see them absolutely smash Everton because Everton, obviously, now being the, the English Milan, spent all this money and it didn't really pay off. And it just shows, to, goes to show that you can't just, well, you can buy success, but then it takes a while. But I think, like, generally, people assume that teams like Everton are going to just smash Atalanta for no reason because they don't necessarily know much about Atalanta. But... It just went to show that Gasparini's done a very good job. They've got good players who get on well with each other and play as a team. And it, it was
0: kind of a, a victory, a victory for football, if uh, you want to put it that way. Yeah, if you... I'm happy to put it that way. And it's crazy because Everton spent, Vito's laughing. Vito, let me just have a minute. Everton spent about 160 million pounds or euros this summer. Atalanta haven't spent that much over the last 10 years combined and they broke their transfer record this summer signing Martin De Roon bringing him back for about 14.5 million and Atalanta have been them 8-1 on aggregate over two games which is just crazy but Luca to answer your question what was it like following them in Liverpool I honestly can't describe it it was unbelievable there must have been 4,000 Atalanta fans there the, the stand that we were in was literally bouncing when the third, fourth and fifth went in and BT Sport even had to apologise because their camera was being interfered with and it was bouncing up and down with the stand. But it's probably the best experience I've had in a stadium and there aren't really many words that can do it justice. I tweeted out a video that's 11 minutes long and it's just of the fans throughout the game. Taken from the other side of the ground, and it's worth checking that out because it's really good. Um, but yeah, now going to Liverpool was probably the best decision I've made this season. Luca, we might be going to another Atalanta away game in a couple of weeks. It's
3: nice as well to see teams that want to be in the Europa League and that are taking it seriously. I think that goes for all of Europe. But there was kind of that period when Serie A wasn't at its best, and it just turned its nose up at the Europa League, and obviously no poor results and it just kind of made the league as a whole look worse with the coefficient but Atalanta and even Milan because of how they've been doing in the league have to take it seriously and it's nice to to, to see them taking it seriously it's such a kind of historic competition
0: that warrants teams to to not just put the reserves and throw games yeah, I would agree, and to be fair, actually Everton put out quite a strong side, which makes the win all the more impressive. But yeah, it's a real bugbear of mine when teams don't take the Europa League seriously because when you see what it can mean to teams like Atalanta, it's it's unbelievable, really. Um, we're just continuing going down, Luca. This is your Serie B minute, so take it away.
3: Uh, well, we had a couple of derbies, which were both uh, decided in dramatic uh, fashion, so. One was the Derby da de between Bari and Foggia, which was nil-nil going into the final minute when Gallano scored for Bari. And he has over 100 appearances for Bari, but he was born in Foggia. So he stuck his hands up to apologize as everyone else was going crazy. So that decided that one, and that was in front of 35,000. So good attendance in Serie B. And then further down the table, it was the uh, Derby in Umbria as Ternana drew with Perugia. Uh, so Ternana, second bottom, warm about to win, could have been a useful result. And uh, Perugia also scored in the last minute with a penalty. And then uh, it still remains sort of generally close in the, the whole mid table section of the league, which is basically all of it because. It hasn't really split off. There's uh, six points between the relegation zone in 20th and uh, Cremonese, who are eight in the playoff zone. So just six points. So two games that could all uh, change. Elsewhere towards the top, Palma lost. So that sees Palermo move up to second in the, uh, the rest of the automatic spaces. So it's all still very, very competitive in Serie B and lots of drama. And it's going to continue for a while because there's no real obvious little mini tables forming it's all
0: one big close division yeah we still have pretty much a 20 team title race there if you look at Serie A there's what 12 points separate first from sixth in Serie B 15 points separate top from bottom it's just a crazy league and we're going to keep coming back to it every week because it's enjoyable to see that it's still competitive and it's always a bit chaotic down there but unless anyone has anything else to raise, that'll do us for this week. Anyone with anything? Have I missed anything that's happened?
2: No. Nah, all good. We've covered the bases.
0: All right. Vito, let them know where they can read your stuff. Follow you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever else you may have.
2: Yep. Yeah, well, of course, keep reading my articles on the Forza Italian football website. Um, there's my fan page on Facebook, just under my name Vito Doria, and on uh, Twitter and Instagram, I just got the same handle at Vito C Doria. So,
0: Luca, do the same. Uh, uh, at Gumbelzono
3: across Twitter and Instagram, that's all very uniform, very,
0: very well managed. Excellent. Um, I'm at Conjay Clancy on Twitter and Instagram, taking Luca's inspiration of keeping things simple. And you can find my page on Facebook just by looking up my name, Connor Clancy. You can follow us on Twitter at Serie FFC. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Forza Italian Football, I think. And most importantly, head over to patreon.com forward slash Sports Italian Football and give us all of your hard-earned money. But yeah, I don't think there's anything else to say this week other than ciao for now ciao ciao